Turn to 1 Timothy, and I hope you brought a Bible. If not, work with your fingers and get those phones and iPads or whatever you use. Get them working well. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, because I'll be going to several other scriptures, uh, as I always do. So, it's good. Again, let's, uh, let's pray. I want to welcome all those by Facebook and people who are at their homes. Uh, welcome. Lord, we give you thanks today. I pray that you would open our spiritual ears to hear what you would say to us. Speak to our hearts. We open our hearts to you. We thank you for Christ in you, the hope of glory promise that Jesus Christ, you're in our hearts by faith in receiving your son as our Savior and Lord. So we open to that. We say, Lord, speak to us. Give us the word that we need today that's going to move us into more of your likeness, move us into all that you have for us. Each one, I pray, and we give you thanks for your word. And may my words and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, these last number of weeks, uh, past months maybe, when we have been challenged by Paul's words to Timothy, an imprisoned Paul, uh, writing to a younger man, giving counsel and Holy Spirit direction for him. And uh, those of us are followers of Jesus. We are disciples of him. We need that same kind of biblical direction coming from a, an older man who's in prison, speaking by the Holy Spirit. He gives challenge to Timothy. And in chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, I'll just read a few verses. We've gone over this many times. But he said, but you, Timothy, man of God, flee from all this, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in his own time, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see to him, be honor and might forever. Amen. He is our everlasting forever God. So he begins by saying man of God. He identifies him. He speaks to uh, what he sees in him, to a man who has the treasure of God within him. You're working. You're striving for that. I got a few things I need to tell you. One, run away from this. Flee this. What was the all this? There were doctrinal, doctrinal issues. There were material issues. He said in previous verses, he said, you got to run away from that. But you don't run to nothing. You've got to turn your face and run the other direction and pursue something. Pursuing, uh, run after righteousness, good godliness, uh, faith, love, endurance, gentleness, right, all that. And he fights a good fight of faith. He said it's time to fight, to be aware of the battle. We've talked about clarifying the battle lines, what we're fighting against. Ephesians chapter 6 is very clear about that, where he said we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in this dark time, and we're going to stand. So he said you're going to have to be aware of it, to be diligent, uh, to be aggressive in a fight, to be wise in the fight, to be equipped, and of course have the full armor of God on your life. That's fighting the good fight of faith. 
And don't just be on the practice field. Don't just practice, practice, practice. Get it done. Engage it. Uh, engage the enemy. Be out there. Get in the game. So we talked about the battle for faith. That's where the enemy comes at us. Faith. Trusting God. Will I have put my trust in him? And that's what the battle is. Fighting the good fight of faith. And then he says, um, number four, take hold of eternal life. Get a grip on what is in you. Eternal life. It's in you. It's in your DNA. If you have become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've heard the gospel message that Christ was crucified on, on the cross for sin. He was buried and on the third day rose again in resurrection life. And then several days later ascended on high. That's the gospel message. We grab hold of that and we became new creatures in Christ. We have a new DNA in us. It's, a, it's a, the life of God in us, who I am, what I have. And that's what we grab hold of, to get a grip on it, to grip, get a grip on eternal life. And just to, to practically appropriate all the benefits, privileges, and responsibilities involved in the possession of it. So that's, that's what we're grabbing hold of, eternal life. I, I asked four important questions last week that will help us get, deal some hard issues concerning getting a grip on eternal life. And there are four of them. Position issue. There's an issue of position. And the question is, who's number one? Who is number one in your life? Are you on the throne of your life or is God on the throne of your life? Who's number one position? Is it your children? Is it your spouse? Is it your job? Is it your retirement? Is it your, uh, your ability? Is your talent? What is number one in your life? That is an important question that every child of God has to answer. Now, granted, we're going to give Sunday school answers to this. Who's number one? Jesus. Jesus is, right? That's what we're going to say. I always remember this story about this Sunday school teacher who was going to give an illustration, had the Sunday school class all there, and they said, what is, got a bushy tail, uh, sort of gray, and black depending on where you find it, and they hop around on the ground, they can climb trees really high, and they gather nuts. What is it? And nobody would say a thing. Come on, children, you know what? It's got a fuzzy tail, it jumps around, it can go from limb to limb. What is it? Jesus? <laughs> or, come on, kids, it's a squirrel. But our Sunday school answers are such that we give answers that we've been, if we grew up in the Sunday school class, if we grew up in church, we give the jargon, the word that we ought to give, that everybody say, oh, he's got the right answer. It's got to be Jesus. No, it's a squirrel. Call it for what it is and identify it. So when I ask a question, or I ask my heart the question, who's number one in my life, I, I might automatically say, well, Jesus is. Well, prove it. You know, show me state, Missouri, show me. How is it seen? So that's the first question that we ask when we're just grab, grabbing hold of it. eternal life. Eternal life is found in the Son. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son of God has not life. There's no life without Jesus. So I would hope we'd all say he's number one. The second question we talked about just for a minute was the permission issue then. Permission. Who has a right to your life? Who can speak to you? Who has a right to give you direction or challenge like Paul was giving Timothy? I charge you, Timothy. I'm giving you something. Who has a right to that? And of course we know it's, it's the Lord has right to my life. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. I belong to him. So he has a right to give me direction and to, to lead me 
by his word and by his spirit. Number three is the profession issue. Profession. Who do I belong to? It sort of ties in with the other thing, but it really is important. Who do I belong to? Am I a child of the king? Do I walk as one of his own? Am I one who finds my delight in following him? Do I belong to him? You know, you might say, well, well, that's so redundant. We've already covered that issue. Well, when Jesus was in the wilderness temptation, when he was being tempted by the devil for 40 days and nights, one of the very first things that, that Satan came out at Jesus with is if you are the Son of God. Twice in that three-session temptation was that, that statement, if you are, then, if, then. And of course the answer is yes, he is, because the Father had just said it at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus grabbed, that's who I am? Satan, you have nothing to question about. What do you mean, if I am? I am. So we need to have a profession issue of who I belong to. And number four is the possession issue. And that's always a big one for us in America because we all have a lot of stuff. So the question is, who owns the stuff? I don't know where stuff comes, but if you've ever attempted to clean out your house sometime, just be reminded that you brought it all in one piece at a time. There's a lot of trips that came, brought that stuff in. And then it comes time, and Judy, I've done this several times in the last number of years, thinking about our kids are going to have to deal with this. Why don't we give them a hand and start moving things out? It's amazing how big your house gets when you keep moving it out. And we're just praying my mom will have eternal life on earth and never, never die because her house, oh, Lord, have us. Anyway, I'll see you this afternoon, Mom. Uh, she's watching. She's watching, and she'll tell me, quit talking about me during your sermon. But she'll get over it. So she always does. She loves me. Anyway, Paul gives charge to Timothy. 1 Timothy 6.13. He said, I charge you. Look down. He said, in the sight of God who gives, I charge you. I charge you to keep this command. I'm, giving you, I'm, I'm urging you to do this. And then he brings in the foundation of all of it. Verse 15. God, the blessed and only ruler, king of kings and lord of lords. He's our king. And we're going to follow him. I made a statement last week that says most of us have chosen heaven over hell, but not many of us have chosen heaven over earth. We like our earth. We like our world. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the past generations, went further in that challenge. He said, how much of your prayer is only words? How much of your praise is only music? How much of your work is only for the betterment of people, not their salvation, not the eternal issue of their salvation? How much of our teaching is just about Jesus, but not Jesus teaching himself, his words to us? Get a grip on eternal life. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, touch a few things here. To get a grip, take hold of, Catch it, grab hold of it, appropriate everything that God's done for you. Ephesians chapter 2, very familiar section. But I wanted to say about eternal life. Ephesians 2, 1, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of, us, all of us also lived among them at one time, 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God graced us with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works that no one can boast, but were his handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Let me just give you a couple of statements about eternal life. It's a gift. You can't earn it. It's by grace you're saved. Through faith, it's a gift. I don't know how long it's been since you just thanked God for the gift of eternal life found in his son Jesus. The second thing about eternal life is it is a present possession. It's present. We don't have to wait till the end of our breathing time upon this planet, our death or rapture when the Lord takes us. It's right now, present. And look what he says. All of us, look up at verse uh, 6 it is. He said, God raised us up with Christ and seated, past tense, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, it's going to be displayed. So really what is happening right now, we have a position in heaven, a positional salvation. We have eternal life with him. We are with him positionally, but we're not there yet, okay? But we have eternal life within us. And so we have to understand that, that we have access to all that right now. And the life of God is in me. I'm a new creature in Christ. That's the second thing about eternal life. It is in us. Now, let me grab, I was writing all this stuff down. I'm thinking about it. And I come to this. And I said, it's a life that can never die. Think about that. I'll have eternal life. He's an everlasting. Guess what? It will never end. I mean, like, never end. I mean, the life that I have now in God, by his promise and his word, is an eternal life. Wrap your head around that one for a while. I remember when I was nine years old, I had, I had prayed. I knew I accepted Jesus as my Savior, and I heard, thought, was thinking about God, and I was taught, being taught about God, never heard about him. My family, we didn't know about God. We're learning about God. We, we meet Jesus. Things are changing. And I remember one night, so, so I, could, I can go there now, that kind of memory. I'm in my bed, and I start thinking, when did God start? My nine-year-old brain blew up. I mean, when did, you mean he's never going to end? Well, when did he start? If there's no, I, it, it, was a, it was a mess. And, and I remember stumbling downstairs from my bedroom. Mom was still up. I remember I was emotional. I was crying. Mom, I don't get it. How can God not have a start? <laughs> and I think she looked at me. She says, I don't know. <laughs> so we cried together. No, uh, it, it was just, it's hard to imagine the fact that when we're talking about having eternal life, all we think about is lunch. What are we going to have for lunch today? 
What are we going to do tomorrow? What happens next week? How about living an eternal life that's never going to end? Now, if your brain, if your brain blows up, if your brain blows up, just let it blow. It's, it's fine. You'll get over it. Okay. But the fact is that eternal life is found in Christ, and nothing can separate you from the love of God. No one can take you out of His hand if you belong to Him. That's what He says. Eternal means eternal. Now, this life is going to be perfected here on earth. We're going to mature. It's not going to be perfect until I see him face to face. It says in 1 John chapter 3, 2 and 3, where it says when we see him, we shall be like him because we're going to see him as he is. There's a perfection. We're going to get glorified bodies. How many can't wait for that? Lord, I would love to get rid of this body. I need a new one. And it's coming. It's coming. Now, to grab hold of eternal life, really just means, Lord, I believe you. I'm trusting you, and it becomes evident in my life. We talk about this quite often, that when God begins to speak to you on a subject, it just seems like you hear it everywhere. Everything you pick up, every verse you read, every place you turn, everybody, every conversation, it begins to be the same topic, and you finally, went, oh, Lord, you're talking to me. Yeah, you got something to say. Okay, I want to listen. I want to turn to two verses very quickly. Go to Philippians. You're in Ephesians. So just turn back to the back of your Bible a couple of pages to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Verse number 9. Let's go to 20. But our, now we'd have to go back and read the whole passage so you know what we're getting into because he's contrasting the world, the enemies of the cross of Christ and their de destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach. That's verse 19. Their mind is a set on earthly things. But verse 20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now... Keep that in mind and go to first, the, uh, towards the end of your New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Dear friends, Peter writes, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day he visits us. You are, King James always learned it that way, aliens and strangers. We're, this, this world is not our home. There was always a, there was a chorus when I was a kid, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through Treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And we'd sing that song, thinking about heaven, because we don't belong here. And so I was telling you that, that God begins to talk to you about this eternal life stuff, different things. That's what he's talking to me. And Friday, I, I got a, um, an email uh, from John, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And he, uh, he writes a, a, pair, a, a little writing uh, called Sapphires. And imagine my, not surprise, but I want to read it for you. He writes, immigrants to America often bring their country with them. Our cities are filled with enclaves of distant lands. Little Italy, Chinatown, 
Little Havana, Little Hungary, German village. You could go on and on. He said, walking through these neighborhoods, you hear the language, smell the aromas, see the clothing, and hear the music of foreign lands. And he quotes Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. Though we live in this world, we don't belong to it. We're immigrants here. But our hearts are in our homeland, heaven. As the immigrants formed little enclaves, so we are to form little enclaves of heaven here on earth. Our homes, our marriage, our walks, our congregation, all are to be little heavens. People ought to hear us speak the language of heaven, smell the fragrance of heaven, see the ways of heaven, and hear the worship of heaven. You are of heaven, and while you live on earth, you're called to manifest to this planet the ways of heaven. Make your life a heaven town, so much so that all who come near it will know that there exists a better place, a heavenly place, your homeland. As I read that, I was reminded so much of my early life being in the plumbing business and stuff. We often would get into sections of town working. And that was very common here in Akron because of the migration up to industrialized Akron during the turn of the century. He said in the, the year 198 or something like that, that uh, Akron was 50% German. I didn't know that. He said most of them moved out and farmed and, and did other things later. But there was, you go up towards Cleveland, you have Little Italy and, and you have, uh, you know, the Jewish community over here. And you had all these communities that you could hear Hear the voices. There was a Croatian club, the Italian club, the, uh, all the different places. And I began to think of what Rabbi Khan said in connection with grabbing hold of eternal life and living from our homeland, living from heaven. And he touched four things. I'm not going to touch all of them today, but a couple of them I want to talk about. Number one, he said, will they hear the language of heaven? Will the world listen in on our conversation and find any discussion about where our home is, where we've come from? And will they hear us speak the language of heaven? Now that brings me to the question, how many words does the average person speak in a day? I did the good old Google search on that and came from all over the place. I mean, I don't know who analyzes or who counts the number of words coming out of your mouth every day, but they must have had a tough time. Because some say 16,000, most say 7,000. And you even get to the one, who probably a marriage counselor because he had to deal with it, that said women speak 20,000 and men speak 7,000. You'll get that on Tuesday. Ladies, we're not because it's not true. It's more like 7,000 apiece, okay? You know, the, listen to what, what it came across, this quote. The words that you speak each day are your imprint upon the world. They dictate how people perceive you and largely define you. Now, if, if I'm going to be defined by my words, 
what would the definition be? Would it be that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ? Would it be that I have a home in heaven? Would it be that this world is not my home? I'm just passing through it. What would it be? How would they understand? I remember there's a, a bumper sticker years and years ago that said, if, if you were ever arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What is your language? What are we going to say? Our words. And I just don't mean words. I mean the actual words that come out of my mouth. Are they hateful words? Are they angry words? Are they put-down words? Are they sarcastic words? Are they loving words? What kind of words fill our mouths? The language. If I'm going to grab hold of eternal life, I ought to talk like the country I'm, that's my homeland. Heaven. So I think about all the words that flow out of our mouth, and if we take the collection of them, what would drift out? The second part of our words is the content of them, not the actual words, the content of those words. Would God be found in your language, not as a swear word, or not OMG, as they say, but would it be a, a word of honor to your God? Would it be a blessing word? Would it be healing words? It says about Jesus that when he preached and as he taught, he spoke as one that was different. Why? Because he spoke with authority. He had words that meant things, the content of his words. I don't have time this morning, but Israel, if you read their wilderness journeys, they got in trouble over and over and over again. Why? Because of their complaining, their whining, their their persistent belly aching over what they're going to eat. They're out of the water and take me back to Egypt. I can't take this anymore. I'm done. And God says, stop it. And God brought judgment on them according to their words. I, I have to tell you, these, this hits where we live because we live in a time where it is, it is not only easy to do, I want to do it. I want to complain about where our country is right now. I'm not talking about you people, because you're wonderful. You guys have such wonderful words. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Our words. We're just like anybody else in the shop or anybody else in the grocery store. I, I chime in far too often. I was talking to a guy the other day. I was getting my license, my driver's license renewed because my birthday's coming up and it takes weeks, they say, now, whatever. I'm talking to this guy. And he starts complaining. And I knew the song. So I whined along with him. I thought later, Jim, what is wrong with you? You don't live here. You should have been speaking words of life to him. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Made the words of my mouth. Psalm 19, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Are they words of life and hope and truth, love and care, not bitter? Another thing about the language is tone, the tone of our words. Oh my, that good old tone. You know, you know whether it's love or, or, or anger just by the tone. You know, you could say, honey, could you just, just move that? That'd be nice. Just, just move that right there. That'd, that'd be good. Or, honey, 
Oh, did somebody wake up here? That was really good. That was the purpose of Move it. What it, honey, move it. Honey, move it. The tone. Listen, I have been around enough languages in my life, whether it's Italian or German or uh, Japanese. I've been around enough languages. You can tell, even in the foreign language, the tone of voice that gives meaning to the words, the language. How about heaven words? How about the language of the king? Even if you don't know it, you know it by the tone. And I'm not, I, again, I'm not talking about religious words either. Religious jargon can really give you an upset stomach. I could say it makes you want to throw up, but that didn't sound good, so I won't say that one. Um, Deverne Fromke, uh, a wonderful teacher that was here early on in the life of our church, he said this about Jesus. He said Jesus was naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. I've attempted some time when I was trying to be real, real religious to sound religious, and it doesn't come off well. You know that? It doesn't come off good when you just attempt to put on a religious air. People don't like it. But Jesus was able to move in such supernatural power and authority that people wanted to be near him. Do people want to be near you? Is there something about heaven coming out of you? Is there, in fact, the disciples said this. He said, when, when everyone was leaving Jesus in his ministry, towards the end of his ministry, in John chapter 6, they were leaving him by the droves. And it came down to the 12, and he looked at the 12. He said, you guys want to go too? There's the bus. Catch it going. It's going. And what did they say? Where can we go? You have the, word, the words of eternal life. We're sticking with you. There's something about heaven. Okay, real quick, we're in 1 Peter. Let's go quickly to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, we are just there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. 29, I'm sorry, verse... Well, I could go back to 25 too. That's a good one. It says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down upon... Uh, go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful in building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if I'm going to speak to those that benefit, to benefit them, I've got to look at them long enough to know what their need is. I've got to care enough to get where they are to be able to speak a word that is going to benefit them. James chapter 3, we won't, for time I won't go there. James chapter 3 talks about controlling your tongue. Getting your tongue, your mouth under control. Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20, talks about out of the abundance of the heart the mouth will speak. What's going on? Am I grabbing hold of eternal life? The language of heaven. I, I pray that we're going to grab hold of that one. Eternal life. What's my language? Number two was the fragrance of heaven. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to keep the rest of our time here, I believe. Second, uh, 
2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the fragrance, the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we're an aroma or in a fragrance that brings death, to another aroma that brings life. And who's equal to such a task? I'll leave that there. Occasionally I just like to read what uh, Eugene Phillips in his paraphrase writes. Listen to these. He paraphrases his scripture. He said, in the Messiah in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings the knowledge of Christ. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. Because of Christ, we give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognized by those on their way, on the way of salvation. Aroma redolent with life. But those on the way to destruction treat us more like the stench from a rotting corpse. Pretty, pretty open there. I had trouble with this verse. Why did I have trouble with this verse? With this verse, because I don't understand how fragrance. How does that work? If I'm a fragrance of life, of eternal life, the smell of him. Now, I know. Listen, we've all been to places. You know you, when you walk into an Italian restaurant, it smells like Italy. When you go into the Mexican, it smells like Mexico. When you're work, working in a home, it smells like what they're cooking. There's a smell, a fragrance of a country, of a place. But what is it for, for us? What does that fragrance look like? And many of the commentaries say this because look up at verse 14 to God who always leads us in the, as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. They say, and again the picture is, not the good side of the Roman uh, occupation. Rome occupied them. But when, Ro when the Roman Empire would capture an army, they would have a parade. And in that parade they would bring in their, those that were for life and those who were chained to death. And there was incense and there was the aroma, and it was that of triumph as they brought in, their, they, as they won that battle over these people. Some of those people were on their way to freedom. Some of them were chained and on their way to death. And that's the picture that he uses. So I go on to say, but how do I have a fragrance? How does that work for me? Paul uses the same word in Philippians 4.18. He said, your gifts to me are like a fragrant offering. It's an aroma to it. I came, I was reminded of something that I heard from Jim Simbla, Pastor Jim Simbla, who is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He wrote a book, the story of their church, called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. And this is how I want to understand fragrance. They live in Brooklyn, a very difficult area. A lot of people uh, that are homeless, a lot were in great need. He writes some things and he said, we often hesitate to reach out to those who are different. 
Far too often Christians want God to clean the fish before they catch them. If someone's gold ring is attached to an unusual body part, if the person doesn't smell the best, or if the skin color is not the same, Christians tend to hesitate. But think for a moment about God reaching out to us. If ever there was a reach, that was it. The holy, pure deity extending himself to us who were soiled, evil-hearted, unholy. God could have said, you're so different from me, so distasteful, I would rather, really rather not getting too close to you. But he didn't say that. It was our very differentness that drew his hand of love. Jesus didn't just speak to the healing word to lepers from a distance of 30 yards. He touched them. And this is where he gives his story. He said, I shall never remember Easter Sunday, 1992, the day that Roberta Lang... Langella gave her dramatic testimony, and he had already written about her earlier. A homeless man was standing in the back of the church, listening intently. At the end of the evening meeting, I stepped down on the edge of the platform, exhausted, as others continued to pray with those who had responded to Christ. Now, at this time, they were having five services a Sunday. It's the last service of the day. He's sitting on the edge of the platform. The organist was playing quietly and I wanted to relax. I was just starting to unwind when I looked up to see this man with shabby clothing and matted hair, standing in the center aisle about four rows back and waiting for permission to approach me. I nodded and gave him a weak little wave of my hand. Look how this Easter Sunday is going to end, I thought to myself. He's going to hit me up for some money. He said, this happens often at this church, but I'm so tired. When he came close, I saw that his two front teeth were missing. But more striking was his odor. The mixture of alcohol, sweat, urine, and garbage took my breath away. I've been around many street people, but this was the strongest stench I have ever encountered. I instinctively had to turn my head sideways to inhale, then look back in his direction while breathing out. I asked his name. David, he said softly. How long have you been homeless, David? Six years. Where'd you sleep last night? In an abandoned truck. I had heard enough. Wanted to get this over quickly. I reached for the money clip in my back pocket. At that moment, David put his finger in front of my face and said, no, you don't understand. I don't want your money. I'm going to die out there. I want the Jesus that that girl talked about in her testimony tonight. I hesitated and closed my eyes. God, forgive me, I begged. I felt soiled and cheap. Me, a minister of the gospel, I had wanted simply to get rid of him while he was crying out for the help of Christ I had just preached about. I swallowed hard as God's love flooded my soul. David sensed a change in me and moved towards me and fell on my chest, buried his grimy head against my white shirt and tie. Holding his close, I talked to him about Jesus' love. These weren't just words. I felt them. I felt love for this pitiful young man and that smell. I don't know how to explain it. It had almost made me sick, but now it became the most, most beautiful fragrance to me. I reveled in what had been repulsive just a moment ago. 
The Lord seemed to say to me in that instant, Jim, if you and your wife have any value to me, if you have any purpose in my work, it has to do with this odor. This is the smell of the world I died for. This is the smell of the world that I died for. David surrendered to Christ. He heard about that night. We got him into a hospital detoxification unit for a week. We got his teeth fixed. He joined the prayer band right away. He spent the next Thanksgiving day in our home. We invited him back for Christmas as well. And I'll never forget his present to me. Inside a little box was one handkerchief. It was all he could afford. Today, David heads up the maintenance department at the church, overseeing 10 other employees. He is now married and a father. God is opening more and more doors for him to go out and give his testimony. When he speaks, his words have a weight and an impact that many ordained ministers would covet. This story goes on. But when I think about the fragrance of heaven, I wonder what people smell when they come to me or to you. We sort of know what the world smells like and we turn from it, but that's the world and the smell for which Christ died. We have used words like their stinking pride. We've used words like that. But the word of eternally, of eternity, the word of Jesus, the word of God's home, is really about humility and it's an atmosphere. You know, we give candles to give off an atmosphere, a scent in our homes. I don't know how this works, but I know that we can smell the difference. There's something about that place. There's something about the atmosphere in heaven that when we approach it and we find it, to those that are perishing, it will bring great trouble to them. But to those who are heirs of salvation, there's a great aroma. There is a way of heaven that people need to see in our walk and our honesty and there's a worship of heaven how we worship our God but I ask you this morning are you grabbing hold of eternal life are you grabbing hold what that means and I pray right now that by the Holy Spirit he might just infuse us with a whole different issue of grabbing hold of his life in us I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and we're gonna pray I'm gonna ask you to stand with us because it's only in God's presence only in God's presence do you just bow with me right now father I can only feel one thing that I just need to repent of attitudes towards others thinking they're too bad, they're too dirty, they're too smelly, the world's a terrible place, and forget that you came into a world that smelled that way. It has the smell of, of homelessness and despair and anger. But Lord, you've called us to be an aroma of life, aroma of life in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that how you do that in us, I'm not sure. But I do know that it works, it happens, and it will be in us as we grab hold of who you are. And it's in your presence. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us concerning the language of heaven and also the aroma of heaven. We come to you now, Lord. 
Holy Spirit, just speak to our hearts. Touch every heart today, I pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name above every name we pray. It's in his presence. As we sing this, would you just allow his sweet presence to fill you? Because it's in him that we have life. Let's sing.